This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. All right, and joining me now is Clayton Sandal of ABC News. Clayton, welcome on to the show. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Or should I say wedding photobomb guy? That new, oh, new, new yeah. internet meme guy, yeah. I am a name. meme. I am a meme. Um, it's very nice to meet you. And uh, yeah, I've, I've aspired for a long time to be a meme, and I finally did. <laughs> it's a good one. And and sort of pre congratulations, right? You guys are almost up to fifty episodes. We are broaching. Um, well, so technically, like we're on our forty fourth episode this week of regular of regular programming. But if you count interview episodes, we're well into like seventy something episodes. Awesome. All right. Keep yeah. So yeah, we do. We do every other week episodes with regular programming, and then in between every regular episode on a topic, we talk to somebody like yourself. So we blew through fifty a long time ago, technically, and it's uh, it's still still going strong. We're having a blast. Awesome. Keep it up. Well, Clayton Sandler, everybody, is an American journalist and ABC News correspondent. He covers a wide, wide range of topics and feature stories for ABC. He is known as their resident Star Wars fan. I just read your Wikipedia page. Was that all accurate? I feel like it's pretty spot on. Uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't checked it in a while, but I think I think it's uh, I think it's pretty much there. Yeah, it, it is a random collection of stuff, isn't it? I, I've been with ABC for seventeen years now, and uh, it's been great. Um, but it is. It, it does kind of span the, the spectrum of stories and things we've gotten to do, which is fun. It sure does. Yeah, you started in ABC uh, at, in 2000, and you're based out of Denver, correct? Yeah, started actually in, in the D.C. Bureau in the territory of Beltway Banthas and uh, was there for nine years. And then we moved here uh, about eight years ago, and uh, uh, I kind of transitioned from being a producer behind the scenes to more um, on air. So it's been great. Well, I... All I do professionally in my in my own work is I just work with TV producers here in the area. So I, I'd love to know more about what you did there yeah. at some point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm I'm just that annoying PR guy emailing you every day, like, "Hey, I have an idea for your show." Awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really interesting um, symbiotic relationship that the people fall into here. Um, but but what took you to Denver and out of DC? You know, I had been working uh, as a as a producer on our evening news show, World News Tonight, and um, had been slowly transitioning. Like here and there, I would I would pick up. Um, uh, assignments that that required me to f- be in an on-air role, whether it was a, a radio thing or we had a little web show that we did on technology, um, and then we have uh, our affiliate service, which we have reporters uh, assigned to uh, file stories for all of our our television stations around the country. So uh, I was kind of filling in, doing thing odd on-air jobs here and there, and the more I did it, the more I realized, hey, I kind of like this, and uh, people. Are telling me I'm I'm okay at it, and and slowly I I kind of just did more of that, and and realized that you know what this is something I wouldn't mind doing full time. And in 2009, uh, ABC created uh, at the time they were called uh, digital reporter positions, and uh, and one of them we we agreed we would put in Denver, and I applied for it and got it, and we uprooted my wife and I and uh, our daughter who was five at the time uprooted from DC to uh, Denver 2009 and and never looked back we love it out here it's it's really great so does a digital reporter that that mostly probably pertains to like creating web content and doing uh, like specials on things that maybe they couldn't fit into TV yeah yeah it did and and it was also kind of a I think they thought of it as, as kind of a hybrid producer correspondent position where you could kind of uh, you could get on the air in an emergency until the real correspondents got there, <laughs> and so um, it, it was. It was kind of um, uh, it was it was.
was sort of a mixed role. And over time, it just transitioned. The more I wanted to do more on air, um, and uh, and it kind of that kind of took root, fortunately. And so so we just kind of transitioned. So now I'm I'm a full time correspondent, and uh, I've got a staff producer here, Connor Burton, who uh, helps me out. So we're sort of the team here in the Rocky Mountain West, and we end up going really all over the country uh, for. For various things, mostly the Western U.S., but we'll travel. We'll travel farther if need be. We spent a week at Hurricane Harvey. We um, uh, have covered fires out in California a couple of weeks ago. So, just kind of depends, but uh, it keeps us pretty busy. Clayton, that is amazing, and I, I think I just I say that because I. I myself, working around media and politics, have just sort of fallen in love with both behind the scenes and in front of the camera um, media. And I I think about news all the time, and then I just look at your career, and I go, okay, so the real purpose of me interviewing Clayton today is, how can I be you, Clayton? How can I... (laughs) Can I, how can I find my way into exactly like the the space that you have created for yourself um, as a journalist? I think it's I just think it's amazing, and, and congrats to you as a Star Wars fan uh, and as a journalist who just seems to have found sort of this perfect uh, space for himself to operate. Well, thank you. I, I feel very I feel very lucky. A, a lot of people have helped me along the way and, and taken chances on uh, you know a goofy kid who who they had no reason to really take a chance on, which I'm grateful for. But uh, so um, it's it's been a it's been a fun wild ride. It really has. It's great. So, quick question about ABC before before we transition over to Star Wars. I, I like to play a little like who who knows who. Uh, are you familiar with Kristen Soltis Anderson, an ABC uh, news contributor on the politics side? I know the name. I don't. I, I've never met them. Yeah, Kristen. Kristen is. A, she's a contributor and a, not a correspondent. That's not the right word. So she she sits at the desk sometimes on like election nights on ABC, uh, out of, out of DC, and she is a frequent guest of the show. She's a a big Bantha herself, big Star Wars fan. She co-hosts the Pollsters podcast, and so she uh, she comes on from time to time to talk about Star Wars and politics with us as well. So at some point, since y'all are in the same ABC. World, maybe y'all should uh, y'all should both be guests at the same time. Yeah, we're on the same orbit. We should definitely connect. Absolutely. All right. Well, so Star Wars, where did it begin for you? I want to know what like what was those formative memories, and where did fandom really take root in your life? Uh, you know, I I remember distinctly going as a four year old with my aunt and uncle. Uh, uh, Christine and my uncle Chris took me to, they, and they were probably in their mid to late twenties at the time. We, they took me to see a new hope in 1977. And, uh, I remember, uh, I remember them explaining before the movie, you know, who the bad guys were and who the good guys were. And, and, uh, you know, at age four, you see that movie and it just inserts itself into your DNA. And it was just something that I I instantly instantly fell in love with. Uh, and I recently unearthed um, some old eight millimeter home movies uh, shot around Christmas nineteen actually Christmas morning nineteen seventy seven. And and I'm pulling this like cheap flashlight lightsaber out of a out of uh, the wrapping paper and waving it around. And I couldn't believe it. It was just so awesome. You know, it lit up and the whole thing. And so, uh, so I, I started young, I started young on the, with my fandom. And, uh, and it's funny, I I have a four-year-old son now and I realized, you know, really, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's not a toddler or a baby or anything, but he's still pretty young. And I just feel like, yeah, I was pretty young to see that movie. Cause I had just turned four when I saw it turned four in March. And then, uh, the movie came out of course in May. So, um, yeah, it started early for me. It started way early. When you were a kid, were you, uh, sort of like really into star Wars with all of your, your friends and, and folks you went to school with, or did you kind of fall into oh, yeah. toys? What was kind of like your, your outlet for your fandom when you were young? Oh, it was definitely the toys. I mean, my parents uh, got so annoyed with me every time we'd go to any store where there were action figures on the on the wall. You know, you would just bug them and bug them and bug them, and and most of the time they're like, they were like, "No, you <laughs> save up, you buy your own." Uh, but Christmas time was great. You know, I remember having. Um, 
Oh, you know, oddly enough, my one of my favorite things I had was like the the Tauntaun from Empire Strikes Back. I remember I remember um, getting that on Christmas morning one year and just going out. We were at my grandparents' house and I just went outside and ignored the rest of the family for the entire day out running this Tauntaun around in the dirt. As you should, Um, as you should. Yeah, but all all of my friends, all of my friends were into it, too. Yeah. My daughter just saved up and finished uh, buying her first uh, self-purchased Star Wars toy. She got the uh, the BB-8 uh, Sphero for <laughs> for hundred dollars. Oh yeah, she's, Those are great. yeah, she's six. She's been saving up for just about a year, uh, and she purchased it about a month ago as her uh, her crowning achievement. She's so proud. Oh, good for her. And those are really fun. In fact, uh, in August, I think it was right before Force Friday, we went out to the Sphero is based here in uh, Colorado, up in Boulder. And we spent a day up there playing with all of their BB-8s and R2-D2s and BB-90s. And it's really fun. So I hope she's getting a kick out of it. So Clayton, you grow up and then you end up pursuing journalism. When did that sort of start for you? When did you go down the path of uh, of becoming uh, a man of media? Yeah, so I was uh, a couple years out of high school, and I was uh, I was going to school and working, and um, I, I originally thought I wanted to be a helicopter pilot, and so I was working uh, at a at a flight school charter company in Southern California. We had about a dozen helicopters or so, and uh, and I loved it and thought that's what I wanted to do, and uh, I through somebody that worked there, I met someone who. Uh, hosted the uh, morning show on the local radio station and uh, decided that uh, that seemed kind of fun. And I, I, the more I thought about it, I went in and um, talked to them and they, they actually put me on the air on like a, uh, I did like Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. It was this really odd combination. I did like the four hours on Saturday night, Four hours Sunday morning for a totally different audience. It was like smooth jazz and worked at this radio station basically as a DJ for uh, four or five months. I didn't get paid. I was just doing it because I loved it and thought it was fun. And then slowly, I uh, uh, there was a slightly larger radio station that did, that did news and talk. And so I sent them an audition tape and they had me come in and I would get paid by the story essentially like you know five five bucks or something like that and so it was a slow progression and then i started working for uh a station in los angeles that no longer does news but at the time it was the only uh true 24-hour news radio station kfwb in los angeles and i started working for them and you know it's it's sort of snowballed from there i was still going to school and then i was um I, I got a job working at a video production company that did uh, uh, called Finley Holiday Films that did uh, na- like national park videos. You know, when you go to the Yellowstone gift shop uh, and buy the tour of Yellowstone, they did that sort of thing and space documentaries and things like that. So that led to uh, an interview at ABC uh, in in the guess it was the winter of 2000 it was like february of 2000 and uh they had seen some of the stuff that i had done and uh, and i knew somebody that worked at abc and they got me an interview and like months went by and and nothing happened and finally they had a, a job open up on their assignment desk in the fall and so we uh moved from my girlfriend at the time now wife we moved from southern california uh, to the East Coast, which no, neither of us had ever lived on, and it was a totally different uh, experience for us. And uh, uh, to start this career at ABC, and um, so that's kind of the, the short version of how how I started working in media. And uh, and I was always a, a behind the scenes guy. Um, that reminds like said, me of the story of my on. dad. Actually, he uh, yeah. he, came, he came from California. He lived in uh, in Hemet. Um, oh yeah, down in the south, and he came all the way to North Carolina uh, to settle down. Settle down with uh, with my mom in Raleigh, North Carolina, to be a newsman at WRAL in Raleigh, North oh, Carolina. Of course, the great um, WRAL, right? Yeah, got uh, got blown away by a couple hurricanes in the in the late eighties and <laughs> in the early nineties. Um, but he uh, he said he never regretted regretted making that choice to come out to the east. Um, I wasn't going to ask you about this uh, originally, but being being around local news in the nineties, what was that transition like from? 
uh, I guess, I guess from whatever it was before to the 24 hour news model, because that had to have been really disruptive at the time when you were just sort of working your way into media. Yeah, it was. And, and from a, a radio standpoint, who, um, was I would actually, you know, I was single, I had no life, um, and I was uh, constantly listening to a police scanner because I my sort of coverage area was inland. In fact, um, I grew up in Riverside, which uh, is not too far from Hemet. Actually, I know Hemet well, um, and so I covered Riverside, San Bernardino counties, and uh, so yeah, that was the beginning of it because you were you were constantly listening for news around the clock, and they, there was an appetite for it really at any hour. Of course, the morning and afternoon drives are sort of the still the, the priority times of the day but uh but that was uh that was yeah sort of the the beginning of it and i remember uh coming to abc and at the time that i first came to abc um we were a 24-hour organization, but we didn't. We weren't uh, in, in terms of radio. They were they were 24 hours, but uh, it wasn't until 9/11 that I felt like we truly became around the clock. Like we didn't have an overnight assignment desk from something like midnight to 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. Whatever it was, um, we didn't staff the assignment desk. Now it's everything is staffed 24 hours a day, of course, and so. Uh, so yeah, it did sort of change how how we did things and how we had to staff things for sure. So in regards to your Star Wars fandom, um, you know, we heard a little bit about its beginnings. Did it go to sleep? Did it fade for a period of time? You're talking about kind of getting into news and really jumpstarting your career right here. Um, if you're like me, it definitely faded for a while between the prequels and the relaunch with Disney. Um, I'm curious how you were during this big time period in regards to Star Wars, because I guess there was another sleep period between 83 and 2000. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say there were two dark periods for me, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it really uh, it, it did. I mean, after after Jedi was, was uh, finished, we you know, I figured that was I figured that was it. And um you know, one of the things that you're talking about, you're talking about your love of the, the behind the scenes. That for me was sort of where my own fandom went because I was I was always always interested in the nuts and bolts of how these movies were put together and how ILM, for example, just revolutionized uh, visual effects. And so I kind of got into uh, you know in that in that first uh, period after the first trilogy, I kind of got into just learning about how the films were made. And for me, all all of the, of course, I love uh, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, the actors, the people in the movies. But for me, just as important were names like Dennis Muren and Joe Johnson and Phil Tippett and Lauren Peterson and and. Uh, you know the, the people who who started ILM and and created these things that we had never ever seen before. So that was that was kind of fun. And um, did you ever want to work at Lucasfilm, or or was it always something that you just wanted to study? Yeah, you know, I I always as a kid knew that I wanted to work in media, and, and I didn't know exactly what, but I always knew um, that I that I, I I loved the idea of working in either television, movies, um, radio, broadcasting, something like that. But at that young age, I didn't quite know what it was going to be. But yeah, I would have I would have definitely loved to to have worked um, in movies. I I think part of it was as a kid, I, I thought, well, I don't. I don't know that I could ever do that. Like that, that must, that must be really hard to get into. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, they would never hire me to do that sort of thing. And, and, um, and so I never, I don't think I really pursued it. it, it it's almost, uh, like I said, I thought I wanted to be a pilot and I almost fell into the radio thing by accident. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I never really thought about it as a, as a career choice. I just admired the people that were working in it and, uh, just thought they were totally cool. So Star Wars comes roaring back in 1999. I guess I guess the marketing started, you know, maybe a year or two before that. Um, what did you think about the prequels? And I, I guess I'm kind of asking about initial reaction. Did you love them when you saw them? And then how do you how do you feel about them now? 
Well, yeah. Well, so we're on a podcast, right? So I have time to take a nuanced stance, I hope. Uh, yeah. So when I first and, – and first of all, one, one quick thing. Um, the special editions came out a few years before that. And and I, and I remember sort of getting excited about those too because we went with some friends and, and stood in line at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood and watched those. And then when the prequels – were announced and, and came out. I must have watched that Phantom Menace trailer either by myself or with my friends, you know, 250 times. I mean, it was the anticipation was so high. And I think that might have been part of the the reason for my my letdown. I, I was so excited about these movies and had built them up, built up the Phantom Menace in my mind. And uh, and when I saw it, uh, I felt like it just didn't honor the aesthetic of the first trilogy and uh i was not a fan at at the time um but you know i I sort of figured well this is you know george this is george lucas's candy shop this is his vision this is what he wanted to do and uh as time has has gone on um i i've i've come to uh, appreciate their place in star wars canon in in the star wars timeline and I, I've the, the other thing that's been interesting is as the universe of Star Wars stories has expanded to television, to comics and books, um, you know, it's at certain points, they all kind of draw on the prequels at times. And I think I think that has helped uh, sort of bolster their importance and their image a bit. And, and now when I go back and I watch them, I'm not, uh, I I don't dislike them as much as I did. I think when I originally saw them and then sort of from a fandom perspective too, just like a new hope was my entry point into the star Wars world. Um, I am sure I know there are fans out there who, uh, for them, fandom menace was their entry into, into Star Wars fandom, and whether that's now Forces of Destiny for some kids, or a Phasma comic, or a Rogue One book, or whatever it is, you know. So I so I appreciate them more from from that perspective. And you know, when I uh, my son, who I mentioned is four, when when we have popped in Phantom Menace or or one of the prequel movies. He absolutely loves them. I mean, Jar Jar Binks is one of his favorite characters. And so, you know, uh, my opinion is is one. And you look at sort of the whole the whole big picture. And I, I have a better appreciation for them now than I did. What, what about you? Yeah, well, I think for me, the most important thing is that Star Wars is beloved uh, by the children of the world for every generation. and And it seems to me that Star Wars has always been a success in that regard. So one thing that I've always had trouble doing is is piling onto the prequels because Star Wars is still the amazing success that dominates the entire world of movies and toys and everything that it always was. So clearly, it's always been working. Um, for, for me, I love the prequels. I really do. Um, I saw... Those movies were my first theater experiences. So I, I had I wore out the VHSs. Um, I was born in '89, uh, the original trilogy. VHSs when I was a kid. But there's something about your theater experiences that really like calcifies um, your love of something and and part of being um, in the Star Wars community. So. I don't remember too much of my Phantom Menace experience. I remember loving the movie. I remember just adoring Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul, uh, Duel of the Fates, the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And then my first theater experience was that I can really remember was Attack of the Clones. And then I did the Midnight Show for Revenge of the Sith. And do it, doing the Midnight Show with my friends wearing Jedi costumes and standing in line for, for six, seven hours for Revenge of the Sith and then crying as as Anakin turns to the dark side like like that for me was where 
my fandom really kind of hit its peak because Star Wars is about so much more um, than just the movies. It's about sort of the the entire um, the entire aesthetic, the entire group of people that you go, fall in love with these things with. So I like the prequels a lot. Um, I, I would say that I, I have trouble watching Attack of the Clones because of some of its pacing. Uh, but my daughter, that's her favorite movie. <laughs> exactly, right? So you know, you know, Attack of the Clones. Like I, I like fall asleep watching that movie um <laughs> which is which is kind of funny because it technically is like more action-packed than a new than a new hope is but my six-year-old loves attack of the clones that's her favorite star wars movie and if i ask like hey you want to watch star wars i usually have to negotiate first from episode two and then <laughs> talk about yeah, other yeah, ones. Yeah. we do the same thing in our house absolutely yep yeah, it's just the way that it is. So Star Wars relaunches, and I, I guess I want to know what you think generally about the Disney era of Star Wars. You know, I think it's great. I I do not. Um, I, I didn't have the same uh, reaction that some people had that 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 J.J. Abrams was pandering to uh, a, a New Hope fans necessarily. And frankly, if he was, I don't really care. I, I liked, uh, I, I loved The Force Awakens. Uh, uh, we, I really did. I, I was so excited to have it come back. Um, and, and yeah, it had, it had elements that we had seen before, but, uh, but that didn't really, that didn't really bother me. But I will tell you in the, we took the day off and I took my daughter and we went and saw it opening day. Um, and, and my, my daughter who was, uh, let's say it would have been two years ago. So she was, uh, 11 at the time, um, did say, oh, this is just like star Wars when she saw star killer base. And so, you know, she keyed in, she keyed into some of these things that, uh, that were seemingly repeats, but, uh, but I thought it was, I thought it was great. I do think that, uh, the last Jedi will have some surprises. I think it's going to go in some interesting, different directions and, um, and I think Ryan Johnson is going to just knock it out of the park. So, so the, the th- I I love where they've taken it. I especially love and that the story group has pulled off what it has been able to pull off, which is this uh, coordination of of all of these uh, storyline threads and characters that that now uh, all match up. That has that for me has been so impressive to see. Um, and it has, whether it was a, a marketing decision or just a, a trying to honor the, the Star Wars galaxy, whatever it was, whatever decision was behind that to create this story group, um, has has really helped fuel my own fandom and interest in the stories. Because, you know, you talked about after the original trilogy and there was sort of that dark period where there 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 were no star Wars movies, but there were all of these, there were comics and there were books and there were all of these, these stories that were out there sort of filling the void. And the uh, great thing about that was that it it helped uh, fans sort of stay fans. But for me, I never really got into that because the stories were so, you know, they were not connected. They kind of went off in different directions and it was, frankly, it was just too hard to keep up with all of it. And for me, Canon was the original trilogy, right? Was the movies. But now you have comics that tie into the movies. You have books that tie into the movies. Uh, my, I know my my experience watching Rogue One um, was was definitely enhanced by reading the book that came out before it. So, Cat- Catalyst, Catalyst is just such a yeah. such a value. Add. So well, my gosh, yeah, absolutely. From that opening scene, right? Like you totally understand the dynamics that are going on uh, between Krennic uh, and uh, Galen. So. So that that has been great, and I, you know things like little things like explaining C three PO's red arm in the Force Awakens. Uh, <laughs> it's you know, fun, yeah, it's yeah. fun. That happens in a comic, and you would you know 
so so all of that has has been cool and it's gotten me into the comics which i was never into before and in fact we started this um uh it's called inside marvel darth vader where every month uh, on abc we do a live stream where we talk we talk about the comics and we sit there and it's like it's like our own little podcast but we have some of the writers and artists on and uh, and get to pick their brains a little bit about that sort of thing and so that has opened up a whole new world for me uh which which has been terrific um yes yes it has and i i actually i want to ask you about that here um in just a little bit before we do that i wanted to throw you through a little bit of a lightning round of some of your favorite things in star wars um so so what is your favorite star wars movie that is out right now Still has to be Empire Strikes Back. Um, and, and it's a really tough uh, almost tie between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. But I'll tell you, third is Rogue One. And and uh, that may be because I sort of had a, a lot of uh, insight and contact with the filmmakers on, on that movie when uh, right before it came out. Uh, and so it's sort of special in my heart. But I think it, um, it really was a cool different unique take uh on the star wars universe that uh that absolutely worked um uh so so that's that's a a very close third who is your favorite star wars character uh definitely han solo i think as a kid it's like who am i most like versus who am i who do i want to be like and i'm like yeah i'm sort of like i'm kind of like luke i'm kind of that you know uh naive farm boy type but uh but i want to be han solo and then uh so i always i always thought harrison ford was the coolest and uh and wanted to be han solo uh and then when indiana jones came out raiders of the lost ark came out i always i wanted to be indiana jones i was indiana jones like three halloweens in a row so Definitely Han Solo. I love it. Anything that Harrison Ford plays is aspirational Absolutely. <laughs> for boys across America. No question. Um, <laughs> what, what's a piece of what's a piece of Star Wars music that kind of gets you every time? Uh, one that you really enjoy. You know what? It's sort of an unusual one. Um, it's the uh, the track I think is called Hyperspace from the Empire soundtrack. And you hear it a couple of times, uh, one where Rogue Two is going to find Han and Luke after they've been out all night in, in the cold on Hoth, and then you hear it later. Um, it's uh, There's something about it. Uh, you know, all, all John Williams Star Wars music um, I, I absolutely love. There's none of it that I don't like. Um, but for some reason, that particular track just moves it's got such a rhythm to it it's got such uh ups and downs uh, you, you know you you can see uh, you can see the scenes happening you can it, it's just so well timed to to the action um and and that one it, when i sit down and i open up spotify or pull up pull up music i inevitably go to that track uh, pretty early on um it's 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 one of my favorites but it's sort of an unusual choice i think um and there's nothing like the imperial march my four-year-old walks around humming and singing that song (laughs) all the time so that's that's sort of my uh, an old standby classic too but yeah the hyperspace track on empire have you listened to this uh this metal album of star wars music by the band galactic empire (laughs) no not yet Oh, it's totally worth your time. Galactic it's on Spotify. Empire. Okay. Yeah. The band is called Galactic Empire. They're signed to Rise Records, and it's basically like Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but for oh, Star nice. Wars. Okay. Um, they do they do a round of the best hits in an album on Spotify, and it is, whoo, it is worth your time. There's the best song, and, and for in terms of learning to appreciate some of the subtleties of John Williams' music, uh, the track um, Ben's Death and the Escape from the Death Star from um, a new hope they do a rendition of this this track that i had no idea it was so intense and a driving like action song until i heard it played by metal musicians and then i listened back to a very subdued john williams uh you know score for a new hope and i was like wow this song is really really heavy um and and i didn't really realize it till i heard it uh with driving rhythm guitars highly recommend you check that out um since i am adding it. I am adding it to my playlist yeah, now. That's to- fantastic. Totally worth it. Ben's death is just uh, cool. so good. Um, 
But That's in terms great. of Star Wars memories, what is a, a memory of Star Wars in your life that is just one of your favorites? You know, time with the kids, something you did through work, uh, sitting in a theater. What's a memory that's always stuck with you as just a powerful Star Wars moment in your life? Well, I think when Force Awakens came out, sitting there having gone so many years without a Star Wars movie, and I was sitting there with uh, my wife and my daughter who um, – I knew was about to see this new this new hero Ray on screen for the first time. Uh, that that was a great moment. Seeing the title come up on the screen and it fly back and and the the crawl go across. You know, you hadn't I hadn't experienced that in a theater uh for a very long time and here i was doing it with my kid who was about to see one of the greatest uh heroines ever uh take over a star wars movie and so that was that was pretty cool um sharing that moment with her um and then on on the work side i have had uh been so lucky to have worked on uh some stories uh this year and and last year on uh, it just on on the behind the scenes of of Star Wars, which, like I said, as a kid was was really kind of my where my interests were, and getting to meet people like John Knoll and Dennis Murin uh, was was incredible, and and seeing pulling the curtain back a little bit for people, uh, you know, the stories that we did were stories that I would have wanted to see as a kid, you know, like how does ILM work? How are they doing this? How are they doing that? And, and so getting to walk in those doors and talk to the men and women and the artists and the, the, the people who are making this all happen, uh, has been, has been just phenomenal. Um, I love that. I, I, I guess that kind of brings me to my, my question about, you know, fandom and one's career, because it seems like you did early on something that I'm sort of in the midst of now, which is I wanted to move to a different part of my life and my career. Um, and I knew how I knew where I wanted to go, but I couldn't really take the front door in terms of doing interviews and conversating with people in media and politics. So I just sort of went through the window and I was like, well, I'm going to find a way to talk to people who I want to talk to. And I might not be able to get access to somebody in Congress uh, to interview them about a bill that they're pushing, but I sure as heck can interview Congressman X about Star Wars, and that's going to be how I start doing what I want to do. And it seems like you deployed that in your career. So I just, again, I sit here and marvel of what you've built for yourself as a Star Wars fan. At what point did you sort of, I guess, decide or see an opening for you to leverage your fandom of Star Wars to, to have a, a place in your, your workplace? Uh, well, uh, you, the parallel you just described is uh, almost perfectly describes what happened with me. Like, I'm not an entertainment reporter. I'm not based in Los Angeles, so I don't do a lot of celebrity interviews and premieres and things like that. Um, but what what I saw with um, when it really began on a professional level for me started with Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim, and I had decided that I was going to go as a civilian. Like I had already asked my bosses for time off. Uh, I'd, I'd bought my three-day pass. I was just going to go hang out with my friends and go to Star Wars Celebration because I'd never been to one. And the movie, you know, the Disney sale had, had been announced uh, a couple years earlier. Uh, things were really ramping up with The Force Awakens. Um, it was really sort of the awakening reawakening of my own fandom and I was really excited by it. And so I was just going to go, just going to go hang out as a civilian. And we got close to star Wars celebration. And my boss finally said, well, you know, if you're going to be there, you may as well file, uh, you may as well do some work. And so, uh, so we ended up doing that. And I, I, I ended up, we did, we did live streams, we did little videos, we did, um, uh, uh, a story, I think, for our evening news broadcast that night. Uh, we did Nightline the night of the the Force Awakens trailer, the Chewy Chewy We're Home trailer. <laughs> so, uh, so it sort of happened by accident. But once it did, it was like, okay, this this you know, I've got my claws into it a little bit. Uh, this is this is what we're gonna do. 
I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this just as, as much as possible. And, you know, as time went on, we just looked for, I looked for, uh, the stories that, um, were a little off topic or, or a little, um, you know, not tied necessarily to the release of a trailer because anytime there's, there was something big, like the release of a trailer or, uh, a, a movie coming out, you know, generally, the the actors, the filmmakers, they're going to go to New York. They're going to be interviewed by one of our Good Morning America anchors, for example. But all of the other ancillary stuff, uh, I wanted to I wanted to do. So we started. We did a great story last year that was the most fun on Star Wars fan films, and followed this group of uh, group of fans, friends who were making this movie called The Sable Corsair. Um, Nick Finch and Jeffrey Henderson and Alex Lynn Ward, they were, they all went out to the desert and for several days shot this fan film and we followed them through the entire process all the way to London star Wars celebration last year, where they won the uh, fan choice awards, uh, fan choice award. Uh, So that, so that was awesome. Just watching these fans raise this money, go out make this movie, put it together. Um, and then when this award was was really was really fantastic. So it was stories like that that we that we started to pursue. And then uh, when Celebration Orlando came around, uh, we went back and just filed like crazy. We were doing live streams and interviews and uh, and and all sorts of stuff that uh, that uh, really you know did well for us and. Uh, well, oh, and, and and I guess I skipped over the uh, the Rogue One stories. You know, the, the as soon as Rogue One came out, I immediately uh, emailed the folks at at ILM and I said, "This is going to be a story." The the way that you created Tarkin, the the way that you created Leia, um, you know, that's a really big that's a really big special effects story, and and sort of had some uh, implications beyond that about you know resurrecting people from the dead and and all of that. It's a really good story, and uh, you know, so we spent we spent a, a couple of days shooting that up at up at ILM. So, so the uh, you know the behind the scenes stuff, um, the things you that that um, I I treat it like a beat year round, not just when a movie comes out or not just when a trailer comes out. I'm sort of constantly bugging them about letting us come and do you know story X, which we think would be cool. <laughs> it's, like I said, it's like the story that I would want to see as a fan. Oh yeah, and and y'all have definitely been doing that. Um, so Beltway Banthas is a Star Wars and politics podcast. We talk to people who are in and around politics, and also folks who are just sort of uh, activists on on the side as well. Um, and we also talk about the politics of Star Wars. And you come from ABC. ABC is part of the Disney family, and. I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you think about the politics of Star Wars, sort of its message, uh, as well as what goes into making Star Wars movies today. Um, you mentioned some stipulations on the front about what we're able to engage in, and I just thought we, <laughs> thought, thought we might lead with well, that. Yeah, well, you know, ABC, we, we always strive to be uh, right down the middle of the roads uh, and fair to all parties. So we don't really can't really get into, you know, personal opinions about our own politics and uh, and things like that. But it was funny. I had kind of a funny story because I anytime we are asked to appear uh, or, or give an interview uh, to a publication or be on a podcast or whatever it is, we kind of have to run it by our public relations folks and say, here's who's, here's who we're talking to. Here's what we're going to talk about. And it was funny. I got a note back from our, uh, our, our PR folks yesterday who's, who they always send this kind of stock, uh, standard, uh, boilerplate language. They say, you know, no personal opinions on political or controversial topics. Um, but, so, so I got that note. So it's the note I got from um, uh, from one of our PR folks was no personal opinions on political or controversial topics. But if they ask you if hand shot first, I understand if you need to take a stand on that. So they were, you know, pretty understanding. Well, he <laughs> was he story. was within his legal rights, according to uh, yes, exactly. According to Josh Gilliand of uh, our last episode, we actually talked about legal matters in Star Wars. <laughs> they have this great podcast and website called The Legal Geeks. 
Uh-huh. Um, they've been featured in Vulture, I believe. Nice. Was uh-huh. uh, they they delve into just all the different legal questions of sci-fi properties, <laughs> and they they got this full analysis of like stand your stand your ground laws and whether or not by our standards Han was justified in, <laughs> exactly. in, in taking Greedo out. So uh, you know. Yeah. What you know? What I will say is, I think that yeah, I don't think it's too controversial to say that I think that, you know, at a young age, watching Star Wars really gave me this this sense of of right and wrong. I mean, there's not a lot of gray in that original Star Wars, right? You had you had your good guys, you had your bad guys. Um, but you know, the, I think the other thing that I I look back on, and I think that Star Wars was sort of my first. Uh, introduction i think to the idea of feminism right you have this movie where the brave knights come in to rescue the damsel in distress and suddenly uh the the rescuee is is rescuing her rescuers right i mean it she's taking charge she's uh she's blasting that hole that leads them down to the the, to the trash compactor and then you know uh so she was established that that character and uh, Princess Leia was a, was early on this strong female character in the in the Star Wars world, setting a, a pretty cool precedent. So I think that was, like I said, I think that was sort of my first introduction to that idea. It was sort of different. You mentioned black, white, and gray, and I guess that brings me to one of my final questions for you here before we round out this episode of Beltway Banthas: is the future of Star Wars and what I consider to be sort of a a gray path that that we are going down right now in terms of where Star Wars is headed and, and its message. Like Star Wars has always been very black and white. It's been the light versus the dark. It's been the black robe versus the guy in the brown or white robe. It's been very clear. And even down from Ray wearing gray in this future movie um, to the marketing on Luke Skywalker that has been intentionally confusing um, uh, in terms of where he stands on the spectrum of the Force. What do you think it says about Star Wars and this era uh, of the story that it is so confusing in terms of where this is headed? You know, I I think in a way it kind of reflects where we are in society today, right? I mean, in 1977, I think we were in a, a different place. And you know the media landscape was so was so different you basically at that time you had your three television networks you had the daily the big daily newspapers and the big daily news weeklies but that is where people got all their information and i think there was there was less room at that time for for those shades of gray for those diverse viewpoints for those uh for those types of ideas and and as Time has gone on and, and it has evolved and the media landscape has just exploded. I mean, there are so many places where you can get uh, news these days. Not all of it is as credible as others. Um, but I think I think that being reflected in the Star Wars world is uh, it, it just makes sense. Right. I mean, now now we're in a place where lots of ideas are, are competing and, and there's a push for diversity and, and for more voices to be heard. I think, I think where star Wars is going, it has gone in the last couple of years and where it is going now is just kind of simply a reflection of where society uh, is at. And I think for the star Wars world, it's, it's been a pretty good thing. Do you think that there is value uh, in the black and white of the old Star Wars world and that you could potentially be losing something um, by maybe going down this road of whatever the Bendu is um, and, and, and you know, <laughs> right. there you know, is, yeah. whatever, whatever the Bendu is and and. In my personal fan theory, is that like Luke has like discovered Benduism, <laughs> but um, <laughs> do you think that we're losing something, and that there was value in clear good versus evil in the old morality and messaging of Star Wars? Um, you know, that's a good question. I think that uh, as I've gotten older, I've I've come to appreciate uh, how how nuanced it's gotten. Um, but I do. Uh, there is that. There is that. Those times when you just want a clear resolution to the story, right? Like you, you want to know. Uh, you want to see that Death Star destroyed and everybody gets their awards and you know there's clapping and it's over and it's a happy ending and, and all of that. Um, so, I, but I, I wonder if that, you know, that that played well in 1977. I don't know. 
if it would play as well today, I mean, I think you, I think we're you, cynical people now. Yeah, we're, exactly. And, um, and I think you kind of, these movies are, are of their time. And, uh, and I think you kind of have to reflect that in the storytelling. Um, but yeah, I, I see your point, uh, of how, uh, you know, you, you do you do lose a little bit of, of clarity, and maybe that is maybe that's something we need. I don't know. So to round us out here, what is a fan theory that you eh, maybe not fully embrace, but that you kind of get excited about? What's a fan theory for the the future of Star Wars that you might buy into a little bit? You mean like in uh, in the Last Jedi? Or? Yeah. So like, I'll give my my personal fan theory. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the whole purpose of the Bendu was for Kanan and Ezra to discover a new way when it comes to the Force, and that their path is going to lead them down what we used to know as the Gray Jedi path, and it's going to be something um, something around the nature of the Bendu. And I think that Luke Skywalker has discovered written materials regarding the. the nature of the Bendu and some of those books that are in his cave uh, on that island are going to be in relation to that idea and that maybe new philosophy and view of the Force. I also also am pretty jazzed about that the kind of goofy fan theory out there that Han Solo actually pulled the lightsaber trigger on himself to show his love and, and like last uh, gesture of light towards Kylo to not even give him the the moment to kill his own father. Um, that's a fan. Th- that's wow. a that's a fan theory. Oh, that's wow. a fan theory that I also really like. Um, you have been thinking about this. Wow. Yeah. I, that's I hadn't heard that. Uh, it, it's it actually like I, the first time I saw it, I was like, all right, that's really out there. And then I then I thought about, it, I was like, oh wow, <laughs> that's heavy. Um, but what's a, what's a fan theory that you uh, that you actually kind of enjoy or buy into a bit? You know, I, there's uh, one that I've been thinking about. We have had this discussion. We were talking about um, uh, actually on a, on another podcast has been talking about the the six films that Ryan Johnson has been uh, that that he had them watch, had the cast and crew watch before uh, they started making episode eight. And the one that we really dug into was Gunga Dean, and. That story has a character in it who Gungadin wants to be a British soldier. He's a he's a he's a water boy, uh, an Indian man. He's a water boy. He's very low on the uh, on the social hierarchy and wants to be more. Wants to be a soldier. Practices being a soldier. And at the end of the movie. Uh, Spoiler, it came out in 1939, so I don't think I'm ruining it. But he he ends up saving uh, his comrades in the in the British Army uh, from uh, this group of uh, tuggies, the same bad guys who were in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He saves them by uh, by alerting them to an impending ambush and and saves the day at the last minute. And my theory, uh, which may not be very popular with people who love Rose Tico is that Rose is the Gunga Dean character in the last Jedi. She does something to, um, at the last minute, save at a, at a critical moment, save, uh, save the resistance from some sort of ambush or, or attack or something. Um, and so, and the the reason I believe that is we we know a little bit about Rosa's sister that she's uh, is or was a gunner in the resistance, and so she may have that same sort of uh, wanting to be something bigger or better in the resistance uh, versus a, a mechanic or maintenance worker, uh, and and achieves that with some very heroic act, uh, sacrificing herself at the end of the movie. That's a totally. Uh, complete and total speculation. Um, oh my god! But that's kind of where I'm I'm at with with Rose. I don't, you know. Yeah, I don't. True. I love Who it. Knows? Sometimes we rate theories crackpot or jackpot. I'm calling. Ja- <laughs> I'm calling. I'm calling jackpot. 
on <laughs> jackpot from a crackpot. Yeah. yeah, jackpot on your rose theory because I'm just full of like all the crackpot ones. Uh, this has been Clayton Sandal of ABC News. Um, Clayton, thank you so much for coming on this morning. I know it's a little bit early uh, out in Denver. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And you can find Clayton on Twitter at Clayton underscore Sandal. That's S-A-N-D-E-L-L, Clayton underscore Sandal. Uh, and myself, Stephen underscore Kent, 8-9. This has been Beltway Banthas, an interview with Clayton Sandal of ABC. Thanks so much, everyone.